just asked me to give a little introduction to this week to let you know that this week contains a couple of um, activities, a couple of exercises. So there are some, well, there were some big gaps. I've taken those gaps out. So it might mean that at a couple of points, things kind of jump. Um, so just so that you can understand why that is. The, the activities also, um, well, the first one is all about loss and grief. Um, and so if you're listening to this on your own, um, be aware of that. And you, know, you might want someone to be around if you um, participate in the exercises yourself on your own. Um, so just be aware of that. Shane also references some, some texts about the uh, forms of grief and forms of hope. And uh, he is going to post them on the Facebook page later in the week. Um, might email them out to people that aren't on Facebook. So look out for those. And they, I guess, go along with this podcast to, um, to be resources that you can use if you want to kind of participate in the activities that happened on that week. Uh, I think that's all. Um, hope you're all going well. And hope to see you soon. Bye. Hello, everybody. Uh, it's nice to see you. I don't even need to say my name's Shane because I think most of you already know that, which is good. Uh, this is Lent, again, as most of you know because you've been around recently. It's our 40 days to Easter journey to the cross and our loose affiliation with the church calendar. Um, but I love Lent. I used to hate Lent because uh, it was <laughs> forced upon us. But uh, I've, grown to love, I've grown to love Lent as I've gained some more control over it and people have stopped telling me what to do all the time. Uh, this week I'm going to go light on the intro slash synopsis because the more weeks that go on the synopsis just gets bigger and bigger until it's like you do the entire talk <laughs> and then you start your talk for this week so uh, I'm not going to do too much other than to say last week was one of those Sundays where I was just so immensely proud to be a part of this community it just really warmed the cockles of my heart <laughs> just to see the bravery and honesty and kindness and hopefulness and, um, yeah, just the realness of this community and people's willingness to contribute and participate was just really, really lovely for me. And I love when we get to bring stories out. I think that story should rupture theology all the time. Um, there's a saying in my old Pentecostal world, if you're... Uh, theology doesn't match your experience, then change your experience, uh, <laughs> which is a complete load of crap. <laughs> if your theology doesn't match your experience, you should ask very big questions of your, your theology. And uh, yeah, I feel like this this community is a work in that progress uh, in that process, which is really lovely. So. Uh, last week, for those of you who missed it and didn't listen to the podcast, uh, we uh, talked about narratives of order and chaos. Uh, narratives of order being the kind of like, everything happens for a reason, God is in control, don't worry, it's in God's hands or in God's plans. Uh, and the way in which those narratives can 
be forced upon us to bypass grief, i.e. don't be sad, everything's fine, <laughs> and it will be fine, or it happened for a reason, so just be glad that it happened, because God is good, and uh, therefore you shouldn't be sad, because if God wanted this, it's definitely a good thing, which uh, works fine as long as your losses are very small. Uh, if your losses are big, then uh, you end up hating God. <laughs> uh, and chaos, uh, the narratives of us living in a cold, uncaring universe that is all chance, uh, and nature is brutal, and one day the sun will explode and take us all with it, and no one will ever remember humanity, uh, which makes a mockery of our tears, uh, because who really cares if no one's ever going to remember? And somewhere in between, in the middle, uh, this, oh yeah, here we go. Um, somewhere in the middle, um, between chaos and order, between embo our embodied uh, response to grief, which is often tears and sometimes laughter, um, and our kind of how we hold hope that maybe some good thing might happen, uh, we often find ourselves stuck in the middle of those two things, and so we're trying to find a way. And so. If you managed to have a look, uh, we're either here in week one or had a look on Facebook or something, or uh, when I emailed out co-creators, we played a clip from Stephen Colbert, which was uh, when someone asked him what the overlap between his faith and his um, comedy was, and he said a lot of really interesting things. And the one I want to focus on today um, was his comment on the film... Belfast, which is kind of a, uh, a biographical film about someone's life who suffered a fair bit of trauma. Uh, and he said, I love this film because it's funny and it's sad and it's funny about being sad. In the same way that sadness is a little bit of an emotional death, but not a defeat if you can find a way to laugh about it. And I really like this idea that, uh, that sadness and loss um, carried well don't all have to be final and don't all have to be defeats. Um, of course, if not handled carefully, that hope can be used like a hammer, as we discussed last week, to make us bypass grief and bypass loss. Um, I grew up with verses, a lot of verses like this. Oh, there was L. There we go. Um, oh, here we go. Hooray. Uh, I grew up with a lot of verses like this. Some of you might have grown up with verses like this if you're a churchy person. If not, you might have dodged some of them. Um, Romans 15, 13. Of course, the important thing is that we never read them in the context of what it's actually talking about. That's the most important bit. Otherwise, it might temper them a little bit um, and take away from some of their oomph. Um, so <laughs> the verse for those playing along in the podcast is, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in them so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, which is actually, one angle <laughs> is it's actually inspiring and lovely and kind and good. The issue, there's a few issues with it, <laughs> with taking it out of the context that was uh, spoken in, is that... Um, like, I found it as a safe and comforting and hopeful verse because what it meant to me, it, it never defined what hope was. There's this kind of background assumption of what hope was. And the framing of my context of my childhood was effectively that hope was um, that nothing bad would happen. 
nothing really bad would happen. And if something really bad happened, if it did happen, you could just skip through it because you knew that it would all be okay in the end. And so hope was this kind of like monolithic giant pill that you had to like swallow the whole thing, otherwise not at all. And I loved that verse until really bad things started happening. Uh, and it didn't work out too well for me. So in many ways, I shelved hope for large portions of my life, and particularly hope in God, because it was kind of this binary thing of all or nothing. But I feel like now part of the danger, or part of the issue here is the danger of a single story around grief and hope. That grief is a thing that happens when something supremely tragic happens, like someone dies, or your partner leaves you, or there's a meteor. Um, Hope is this monolithic thing, which is believing that everything will magically be made better at some stage. And you've kind of got these two single stories around grief and loss and hope. And those two things threaten to overwhelm and suppress our experiences. So this is kind of what I want to talk about today or explore together. What does hope in God look like? Or better, what can hope with God look like? And I don't want to kind of put aside uh, eschatological hope or teleological hope, this idea that sits in the Christian tradition that one day all things will be made new. And if you're a Terence Malick fan, uh, who's a pretty brilliant filmmaker, lots of those themes in there, the sense of chaos in the world, but it'll be okay because one day all things we brought together for good. And I think there's really powerful things we can say about that. Again, I think if we say too much about that without exploring the nuances of hope and loss, it becomes this hammer to suppress grief. So today we're going to talk about the many textures of hope and loss. I'm going to look today, uh, first at these three passages. And um, again, the best way to use verses in the Bible is to take them out of their context. And we're going to read these three things back to back. Uh, the first one is from our Lazarus story from week one. The second one is often called the rich young ruler. And the third one is from the triumphal entry when Jesus is nearing the cross and comes to Jerusalem. And people are, he comes in on a donkey, which is one of my favorite stories. Uh, and people are getting all very excited about him and trying to make him the Messiah. Luke 11, verse 32, 33. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. Matthew 19, verse 20 to 22. The young man said to him, I have kept all these. What still do I lack? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, go Sell your positions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Luke 19, verse 41 to 44. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, 
but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children with you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Okay, so here's our activity. Activity number one of the day. I like to get you to do the work. Uh, there's infinite number of correct answers to this, but I want to kind of draw out some variety here. In a word or a couple of words, how would you describe each of those losses? And you can get as metaphorical as you want. They can have colors or descriptors or any kind of metaphor you'd like. But have a look at those three different losses. How would you describe them? You can pick, you can pick, pick tell me which one you're talking about, and we just flip back and forth. I said it was hopeless. Which one? The bottom one. The bottom one's definitely hopeless. Yeah. Hmm. Do any words or descriptions resonate for each of these? Guilt and punishment. Um, you know, that you're too late. You, you didn't do what I told you to do and, and now it's your fault. Uh, it's just devastating. Did you have one person? Um, yeah, the last one for me just feels like a runaway train. Like this, like... What it's, what it's actually about, as best as we can piece together, is the fact that in however many years' time, the Roman Empire is going to um, crush Jerusalem and put it under siege. And because they turned to violence, effectively it's because they turned to violence, they tried to rebel against the Roman Empire, and that's never a good idea unless you're a Mongol. Um, and, and Jerusalem just got leveled, and Jesus can kind of see it coming. And whether it's like some kind of mystical prophetic vision, or whether it's just like, I can watch this happening. Like, here you are, I'm trying to call you towards peace in another way, and I know that you're going to be violent. And it's kind of like a parent watching a child, or, or like, a, like an ad, parent watching an adult child just make a series of really terrible life decisions and just going... I can tell, I've tried to tell you, I've watched this, I just have to have my hands off now and watch this train go, and it's just destroying me because I can't do anything about it, but you're an adult, like, what do you do about that? The reason why I kind of want to sandwich these together, and there's a million in there we could have chosen from, is because, for me, they're all different textures of loss and grief, and... Again, it's death and loss as a monolith or as a binary or as a single story or entity that I think robs us from seeing and knowing death and loss in our own lives and being able to metabolize it. Textures of loss. Uh, we might need to turn some like, um, stage lights off so we can see this because our projector needs upgrading, um, but we just don't have 10 grand at the moment. So, and I know this is small, but it's small for a reason. Um, it's to make you feel old. No, no, it's small. <laughs> it's small so that we can have it on the screen because we're going to do an activity with it in a minute. Loss 
is nuanced and textured, not monolithic. There is sudden sharp loss, agonizingly slow loss that marches on despite our protests, loss that sits in the periphery and we don't notice for some time or only realize in hindsight. Loss that we see unfolding in front of us, powerless to stop. Loss that we feel like we're on top of and managing, but then suddenly overwhelms us, descending like a wave that drowns out the rest of life. Loss of what might have been, that doesn't feel like it entirely justifies the grief we feel, yet we grieve it anyway. Loss that is shamefully the antithesis of someone else's, the grief of childness and the grief of parenting, childlessness and the grief of parenting, the grief of singleness and the grief of a difficult marriage. Loss that is intimate and hidden and only feels like it can be known to ourselves. The loss of betrayal by someone we've trusted. Loss and that vague disappointment about the way life hasn't panned out like we thought. Loss of sacrificing something, paying a price for something we believe is right or to make someone else's life better. Lost opportunities, lost closeness from someone we care about, lost abilities and freedoms we once had, and losses that we don't have a name or a category for. Like when a friend and their partner moves away suddenly, but you were their best friend, and they still have their partner with them, but you don't have your best friend, and it seems like they'll be fine, so you have to smile for them, but you're faced with sudden emptiness. All of these are real, and all of them will be felt in our bodies to varying degrees. None of them are invalid, and they are all worthy of some response. And if we fail to recognize the various textures of loss, we struggle to acknowledge them, understand them, validate them, share them together, together and ultimately find some form of healing in them. So your activity for today, well, this is your second activity, um, and you can write these on behalf of yourself or you can write these on behalf of a friend or someone you know because you might not want to write your own losses down publicly. Um, but in few enough words to fit on a yellow sticky note, and you can do like 10 or 20 of these, I don't care. Have a look at those categories and see what losses are prompted to you. And we're going to get these sticky notes. And I just want you to stick them on mill around and stick them on a random table somewhere. There can be more than one loss on a table, that's totally fine, but you don't have to put it in front of you so then you now own that loss. And so even if it's about a friend, someone thinks it's that, it, that it's yours, which will like work some anonymity in here. But we're just going to take five minutes. Um, so grab, come and grab a sticky note or a pile of sticky notes. Um, have a look at those losses. And they might be tiny, and seem insignificant, or they might be monumental and huge, and they might be deeply personal to you, or they might be something that you're grieving for someone else. And just write a word, a sentence, a short story, something that fits on a sticky note, and leave it on the table. And then I promise we'll move to hope, because <laughs> I did tell you that this morning. So I know it seems a little bit like a brutal exercise, and it, it, it really is. Um, and if you need to talk to someone afterwards about this experience, then um, absolutely do come and um, chat with myself or someone else in the community that you feel safe with. Um, but one of the things I think 
is really important in a healthy spirituality is nuance. Is the capacity to understand that life is infinitely complex, um, that people's experiences are incredibly diverse, that our griefs sometimes clash with each other's hopes and our own, that on the surface we can look composed and we can actually be fine, but it doesn't mean that loss and grief isn't present. And those who, of us who have grown up with, a, with forms of toxic positivity where it's essential to just rally yourself and gather yourself and to supplant hope and goodness just over top, to concrete over despair, um, some of us have had to slowly learn how to see our own grief so that we can process it and see others. And our capacity to do this, I think, helps us with our capacity to hope. Because, again, if the only hammer of hope we have is everything will get better, it'll be fine, it's all going to be okay, then if we can't make that happen, or if we can't wait long enough for that to happen, then we're left pretty powerless. Hope can just as easily be narrowed to some kind of twee fantasy or improbable resurrection. Hope can be used as a weapon to bypass embodied grief, tears, and laughter. As if we just pretend that everything is going to be okay, then we don't have to feel the loss. Hope at its worst is the belief that one day everything will just be fine and none of this was really worth fussing about in the first place. It makes some of these minor losses feel embarrassing and they shouldn't because they're real. And I guess when you cross that with spirituality, it makes it seem that God only cares about a very few particular things. That God only weeps with things that fit under a particular name or category and that the rest of it, that God just expects us just to kind of like buck up our ideas and be fine. Which is the opposite <laughs> to a God who is intimately involved in the nuances of our lives. And a God who deeply knows us and cares about the intricacies and the intimacies and the small things and the small losses. The God that feels in the way that we feel. That's the God up in heaven who only sees war and cancer and doesn't see what it can be like to be shut out of a friendship group or to feel like you might never own a house or to have to move when you don't want to or to lose a colleague at work because of an asshole boss and that colleague was the one that got you through and now you're just left with the boss and it's actually ruined your life. Those are things that God deeply cares about. And those are things as well that I think we can find hope in. But the hope isn't always as if this never happened kind of hope. It's in different forms. So I want to talk really briefly about a few versions of hope. And just to acknowledge again um, that sh hope should be handled with consent. <laughs> That hope forced upon someone else 
or forced ahead of its time is actually really toxic and unhealthy. Um, but despair is really toxic and unhealthy too. And so there's a gentleness required with hope. That hope should not be forced from the outside, but offered with kindness. And hope should arise at a time when we are ready for hope. Um, that some stages of grieving, offers of hope, are like a slap in the face. If your spouse dies and someone says, it's okay, there'll be someone else, <laughs> when you really don't want someone else, you just want that idiot back, that's really unhelpful. <laughs> so we're going to talk really briefly about textures of hope. And these are just a few I came up with, and I'm not very smart, so I'm expecting you to do much better. But I'm just going to offer a few things. Um, and again, you're not going to be able to read them very well, so I'll read them out loud, but they might just be enough for you to see when we go to the hope bit. Textures of hope. Gratitude for what was lost but was once held. Francis Weller in The Wild Edge of Sorrow says, My grief says that I dared to love that I allowed another to enter the very core of my being and find a home in my heart. Grief is akin to praise. It is how the soul recounts the depth to which someone has touched our lives. To love is to accept the rights of grief. So part of hope and loss is that at one day we may be able to feel a deep sense of gratitude for what we once held, even though it will never return to us again. It's not the kind of hope that makes everything better, but it brings kindness and goodness out of something really difficult. Hope in resurrection, that what once was lost might be returned in a new form. And this is not the same as replacement, as, if, as whatever returns will always be different, and we'll be different on the other side of it. This might be restoration of what was lost, or something new that arrives in its wake. And again, sometimes it takes a long time sitting with grief before we're ready to be open to this possibility. And again, it should never be used to say, I'm so glad that happened. Because <laughs> you found something better. I don't think that's necessary. The hope of growth that somehow we might learn and grow and become more connected to others in the process. The hope of vindication, that in the case of sacrifice, vindication could mean that one day we feel deeply that it was worth the cost. In the case of being misunderstood or misrepresented, it could be the vindication that the truth comes out one day, or that someone we trust at least knows the truth. The hope of reconciliation, in the case of being wronged by another, it could mean that some kind of justice is enacted or reconciliation is sought. In the grief where we have messed something up and the door to reconciliation is closed, the hope might be that one day we are able to go some way to making good for where we've messed up. The hope of new life, that even though this feels like the end of meaning and that nothing could ever replace what was lost, that one day joy and life might find us again and we would feel truly alive and able to enjoy it. I distinctly remember a season of life where I was absolutely convinced that nothing could ever feel good again. 
And, that, and, and even though saying it out loud felt absolutely ridiculous deep in my heart of hearts, it's exactly how I felt about life. And I also remember one day, and if you tried to argue with me about that, <laughs> it would not have gone down well. But I also remember one day, kind of in the rear vision mirror going, oh, life is actually kind of okay again. And that being a remarkable feeling, because when you've genuinely believed, not just through being a drama queen, but just because that's how complex things are, that it would never happen again to find new life on the other side of it is just an incredible experience. The hope of connection, that we might receive the kindness of others in the midst of or in the wake of loss, and that our loss wouldn't be ours to carry alone that somehow in this loss we might actually become more connected people, that our grief might be shared, that our loss might be witnessed and seen. So our next exercise is an exercise in hope. Um, And I just want you to grab a random bit of paper. And I just want you to apply gentle hope to it. Write a sticky note for that loss. Um, And again, know that this isn't you forcing that on someone who's in the midst of the heights of grief, but that you're just naming possibility. Have a look at these nuances and textures of hope with this loss and think, what might we hope for? What might we hope comes about? What might we hope that this person finds um, in the wake of this loss? If this is something that you're like, this is too much loss and grief today, (laughs) I'm just going to stay away from them, that's totally fine too. But if you want to participate in this exercise, then um, have another walk around, have a scan of the losses, and then grab a sticky note and write... Write a little message of hope um, for this loss. This is an exercise of imagination. It's not actually to try and help the person, um, but it's actually just practice for ourselves as we sit with others in their loss and grief and as we sit in loss and grief as well. So if you feel like doing that, we're going to have communion straight afterwards. So if you just need another tea and coffee or a wee, that's totally fine too. If you can't face the losses, that's totally fine too. If you want to just do one for yourself, <laughs> if that feels like the safest thing, then grab, a stick, grab some sticky note and just write, write one for yourself, for your own stuff. So in all honesty, <laughs> I don't know if that first bit of the exercise was a great idea. Like it might have been too raw um, and if it was for you, I'm really sorry about that. Like, I think part of the difficulty with this job is uh, projecting what could be. And I'm sure for some of you it was helpful, and for some of you it might have been too much. And if it was, uh, sorry if we didn't create a gentle enough container around it. But one of my impulses behind it was because I think the start of hope for any grief is actually just witness. Having your grief named and witness and acknowledged as legitimate 
particularly when it's not the kind of grief that fits a neat category. People who grieve a spouse that wasn't that great to them, yet still grieves. While everyone tells you what a great person they were. Grief is complex. And before we can really start healing or start hoping, I think one of the greatest gifts we can have is the capacity to witness other people's grief and name it and sit with it and acknowledge that grief is complex and that loss is complex and that loss is nuance and what might feel so insignificant for someone else might feel really, really massive for you and that that's okay. And I guess part of the exercise was that a healthy spirituality has a God that can see and know the minutiae of people's lives and weep with them. Um, we won't get too far into it, but I think in that Lazarus story, Jesus actually learns something when he breaks down. I do think Jesus was being a bit of a prick in the first half of that story. I don't think Jesus had actually entirely come to terms with the reality of other people's grief that Lazarus might die and that he could do something about it and the responsibility he has there. And I'm a person who believes that Jesus learned, so that might go completely against your theology, but that's okay. Um, we can disagree. But I want us as a community to learn what it is to witness and name and know the texture of each other's losses and to be able to be present in that and to know a God that doesn't have that impulse to go, it'll all be better or this is nothing, or you're so lucky compared to people in Ukraine. Because that's, help, that's not helpful either. Um, but I also want people who, us to be people who exercise the muscle of hope, that we learn what nuanced hope might look like. So our homework for this week is to do this practice again with a grief or loss that you encounter during the week, and try and find a way of sitting with the nuance of hope with it. Um, and that doesn't mean fixing someone's grief. That might just mean witnessing it or imagining a possibility for them or with them. Um, we're going to eat and drink together this morning. If you would like to take part in communion, which is the space where we are, called, we are invited to share in Jesus' death and resurrection, um, then we're going to do that. And Meg has lovingly prepared a blessing for us. Um, which she just remembered and isn't going to be perfect, which is the best. So, yeah, come and gather around the table. If you don't want to participate, that's totally fine. But if you do want juice and cracker or to remember the Lord's death and resurrection, then come and be with us. It's definitely not my blessing. It's by Kate Bowler, who I've been listening to, who talks about this a lot. Um, and there are a few that I liked, and I'm just going to go with the really sad one, um, <laughs> which is called A Blessing for When You Mourn What Could Have Been. Blessed are you, friend, sitting among the shards of what could have been. It is broken now, the dream you loved, it is spilled out all over the ground. Blessed are you, dear one, letting your eyes look around and remember all your dream once contained, all the love, all the beauty. Blessed are you telling your tears they can flow, 
telling your anger it can speak. Blessed are you when mourning is the holy work of the moment, for it speaks of what is real. Blessed are you letting this loss speak all its terrible truth to your soul. Blessed are we who mourn, saying, let us remain in grief's cold winter for as long as it takes. That mourning might be our hearts, the gentlest springtime. Thank you. Let's eat and drink together. Amen. Go in peace. Again, if you need to talk to someone after today or during the week, um, then, yeah, be, be in touch. Um, or if you need someone else safe to talk to but don't know who to, then be in touch and we can put you in touch with someone as well. Thank you all for your bravery and kindness and love. And don't forget your homework, if you're up for it, to exercise hope with something. It might just be an exercise of imagination or it might be a gift of presence to someone. But, um, yeah, let's get practicing. Thanks. Thanks.